This podcast has me hooked. What I'm learning in each episode leaves me with hope for the opportunities we have to change for the better. Isn't that nice? That's so nice. Who is that from? OMG Oz 0804. Aw, thank you, OMG Oz. We need more OMG Oz's in the world. If you want to be an OMG Oz in the world, head to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. Even a few words go a long way in making sure others find their way to trace material. And while you're at it, tell your friends about us too. Who doesn't want to know more about fungi? No one, I say. Okay, let's start the show. Hey. Hey, what's up? Okay, so I was doing some digging to try to figure out who we should talk to about mushroom cultivation, and I want to show you this video I came across. Uh, yeah, okay, cool. I can see it. All right, guys, we're going to be doing some work with some uh, sawdust that James and I prepped the other day. We ran it in the pressure cookers. So for the listener, we're in like an unfinished basement with a bunch of what looks like maybe medical supplies and then some heavy equipment and a bunch of pressure cookers. <laughs> You're making it sound creepy. So we'll let this pressure out. Okay, so this is actually William Padilla Brown's DIY mushroom lab, and it's actually not creepy at all. Apparently, if you want to talk to the experts on mushroom cultivation, you're just as likely to find them in garages, basements, or backyard gardens as you are at big universities or science labs. William is a totally self-taught citizen scientist doing this cutting-edge fungal research out of his garage. Oh, amazing. Where is this? He's just right down in Pennsylvania. Oh, we've got to go visit, right? Exactly what I was thinking. From Parsons Healthy Materials Lab at the New School, this is Trace Material. I'm Ava Robinson. And I'm Burgess Brown. Today, we're going to be talking about something that, honestly, I really did not know that much about before taking this headfirst dive into the fungi deep end, and that's citizen science. Citizen science is pretty much what it sounds like. Everyday people who lack a formal science education, but are employing the scientific method in one way or another to contribute to a scientific field. Now, in the field of mycology, which is the study of fungi, citizen scientists have been and continue to be critical to the advancement of our knowledge. Today, we're going to talk about how the study of fungi has been pushed to the margins by academia, the ways citizen scientists have filled the gaps that formed, and the self-proclaimed weird and wacky community that's been built in this outsider space. To do that, let's head back to William Padilla Brown's DIY Mushroom Lab and figure out what these citizen scientists are up to. We are in Lemoyne, Pennsylvania at one of Mycosymbiotics Micro Farm's decentralized locations. So right now we're operating as a decentralized business and we have locations in uh, multiple areas around here. You know, just to make, you make do uh, with what we have as, you know, we don't own any land or anything at the moment. So uh, we're utilizing these different spaces to increase our square footage. Lemoyne is a tiny one-and-a-half-square-mile community that sits just across the Susquehanna River from the Pennsylvania state capital. And it's home to William's company called Mycosymbiotics. They sell mycelium cultures, mushroom tinctures, and extracts to fund fungi-related research. William's grow-slash-lab space is set up above a detached garage that's perched on top of a hill in a suburban neighborhood that overlooks downtown Lemoyne. 
The ground floor is packed with lawn equipment and dirt bikes. The upstairs, though, houses a serious operation. William and his team have established a space that is perhaps DIY in ethos, but is totally professional in its execution. We're looking at our incubation tent, um, where we incubate our different varieties of mushrooms um, on local sawdust, mostly hardwood. Yeah, so we have, a, we have different species in there that we're working with. Um, in here, we mostly have oyster mushrooms and lion's mane mushrooms for our production. Um, but once they've incubated in there, uh, we'll put them into the light. Uh, William we'll showed us around the different grow tents that are in the main room with varying levels of light and humidity control. The closet has been turned into a fluorescently lit cordyceps cultivation center. And in the back room, there's a carefully sealed off lab space filled with microscopes, petri dishes, and DNA sequencers. We got an amazing tour of the space. And if you're interested in a more in-depth look, we put together a video that you can check out on the Healthy Materials Lab's YouTube page. You can find the link in the show notes or on the podcast page of our website. William isn't alone in his at-home mycological explorations. He's part of an important tradition of citizen scientists who've expanded our understanding of fungi. The citizen science movement has grown in popularity over the last decade or so, and William has found himself at its forefront. I'm not sure this is a metric that matters too much to him, but he's got over 67,000 followers on Instagram. He's at mycosymbiote, if you want to add to that figure. He's got a thriving YouTube community of fellow myco-do-it-yourselfers, organizes an annual myco-festival in Pennsylvania, and seems to have a stacked calendar of speaking engagements. Oh, and on top of that, he's a lyricist that releases music under the moniker It's Cosmic. William didn't become a leader in this movement overnight. He's been self-educating for essentially his entire adult life. While still in his teens, William had experiences with psychoactive mushrooms that changed the course of his life and put fungi at the center. With my forays into psychoactive substances, um, I found it very apparent that um, my environment was having a negative impact on me. Um, the people I was spending my time with, the, the places I was going, the food that I was eating, the music I was listening to, uh, all of those kinds of things. And I didn't know what would be better than that. Like, I didn't know what else to do besides what I had been presented. Um, and I just felt this urge to be closer to the source of what I was consuming multidimensionally, like what I'm putting on my body, what I'm putting in my mouth, what I'm putting in my head. So it was around the time I started growing food. It was on a mushroom trip, a psychedelic mushroom trip that I was like, I should know what I'm eating. And I, was, I had mushrooms digesting in my stomach and I was like, I should probably be growing these things that I'm eating. And so I, like, I started growing my own mushrooms. Um, and with those skills, I was able to translate that into cultivating like gourmet medicinal mushrooms uh, fairly easily um, uh, down the road from there. William gained those skills and that knowledge through crash courses at YouTube University, extensive research on Google Scholar, and sheer determination. He told us about tracking down authors of studies he was reading to pick their brains further and get a better understanding straight from the source. Eventually, with secondhand and DIY equipment, William began doing some seriously cutting-edge research and started to claim the term citizen scientist. I started saying citizen scientist because I was really enamored with the term citizen science. Um, also, at the same time, I was doing science, but 
there was a lot of people in society that had spent lots of money and years of their time to be called a scientist. So I felt like it was kind of like poo-poo on them to like be going around calling myself a scientist or something. And I had just like been hanging out in my spare bedroom and, and, reading, and watching YouTube videos and reading books and things like that. I don't know, people pay for those titles. And if, if I, also if I'm capable of like, of doing a, a job and getting a proper outcome, like with a scientific method and with like, that's the resume. I don't really need, I don't need to say I'm this or that if I can do the work and it, and it works. So yeah, I started calling myself a citizen science scientist just because I didn't want anybody to be like giving me grief about calling myself an actual scientist and just to like kind of categorize what I was doing. All right, guys, um, I'm super, super stoked. What we're looking at is uh, molecular identification of mating types in Cordyceps militaris. Um, and you don't need to sequence the DNA to do this. You can just uh, identify it through uh, the gel electrophoresis. William may not call himself an actual scientist, but he is most definitely doing actual science. And he's making his methods open source. That was a clip from William's YouTube channel called Apex Grower, where he's walking viewers through how to identify mating types in cordyceps mushrooms. Cordyceps are sort of William's claim to fame in the myco world. They're a medicinal mushroom that's hard to find in the wild and even harder to grow yourself. Back in 2015 at the Fungi Festival that William organizes, an attendee gifted him one of these rare wild mushrooms. William spent hundreds of hours scouring the internet for guides on how to propagate and grow this mushroom himself, only to come up empty-handed. Until recently, they were almost exclusively cultivated in large-scale facilities in East Asia, and there were no English-language guides. That is, until William cracked the code. He was the first to grow cordyceps commercially in the U.S., and in the spirit of citizen science, published the Cordyceps Cultivation Handbook in 2017, and then recently followed up with Volume 2. Now, there's a small but mighty industry of commercial cordyceps cultivators, and a bona fide domestic market is forming. Interestingly, though, these scientific breakthroughs aren't how William defines his practice. If I, if I was to describe myself, I would say that I am a multidisciplinary citizen scientist with a focus on social science, operating a mushroom business to fuel my research. My focus on social science goes back to when, how I mentioned that I was, I found myself in an environment, in an environment that was unhealthy. So the social science aspect of it is more of studying social systems, social settings, uh, social interactions, and designing healthier ones, um, utilizing biomimicry um, and permaculture design to design healthier social settings, social systems, social interactions. And because I'm young and because I'm coming from a place where I was lacking in the, lacking in a lot of wealth in the value system of the space and time I was born into, which is dollar bills. I didn't have a lot of those, but I was able to create new value systems and social equity in my work that is more valuable than dollar bills that I'm able to utilize and navigate in different ways. Because, because of that, it pushed me to, it pushed me to take my permaculture design into the community and because I didn't have land or anything like that to do permaculture. I had to interact with the people around me. Okay, so we should briefly try to define permaculture. Basically, it's an approach to design that uses natural systems as a blueprint. 
The idea is to work with nature instead of against it. And this ethos can be applied to anything from agriculture and waste management to urban planning. Or, like in William's case, it can be used to design healthier social systems made up of members that are more connected to nature and to one another. It's amazing to hear William talk about how he's sort of redefined value in his own social system. Without access to land or lots of money, he's used social equity to create value. William and co. have a network of backyard community gardens that share resources and harvest. And I saw on Instagram just last week that a neighbor of his has offered up their backyard for a chicken and duck operation. Building networks like this outside of institutionalized systems is well-worn territory for those in the citizen mycologist community. The institutional and academic sciences have historically ignored the world of fungi in their research, so much so that it's been dubbed the neglected megascience. But William sees this gap as an opportunity. Because fungi has been looked over in the academic West, it's given the citizen scientists and the independent scientists such an incredible opportunity to innovate because of the lack of practice and the lack of protocol uh, for doing some of these things. So uh, because nobody in an institution said that these are the directions and instructions on how to do this, it gives the individual the opportunity to say, here's where I am and here's what I have and this is how it's going to work here. Um, and, and because of that, we've seen incredible innovation in, uh, in mycology more than in any other field of citizen science. Because it coincided with the internet, it was all open source. So everybody could do trial and error on blogs with hundreds of other people. And that drove innovation uh, incredibly. So yeah, because so many people are in their house, like figuring out how to do mycology in their kitchen and stuff like that, it's just way easier for people to get into it. And, and way more people are sharing videos on how to do it that way. Um, and it's kind of like, it's like a gateway science because, you know, it gets you in there working with Petri dishes and working with cultures. And that translates into so many different things. Fungi have been neglected by institutions and they've also been marginalized in larger society. By the 1960s, the American imagination linked fungi to magic mushrooms, the counterculture movement, and Nixon's war on drugs. That lingering association has meant that American mycophiles have gathered in community at the margins, and it's impacted how the community has operated. Well, I mean, it had us in the shadows for a long time. Up until recently, up until mushrooms are cool now, uh, and like all over the media and stuff like that, a lot of the mushroom communities were old and white, and weird like I and like I say weird because for a general audience that word is what is used to describe things outside of day-to-day how's the weather Bob you know type stuff like like mushroom people are just like eclectic like nerdy they were the ones that got outcasted by all of society and the nerds are the ones that did the most creative most weird most innovative stuff over the past generation and so like going into those communities it was just like really cool to be around people that had spent a whole lifetime with each other doing the things that was fringe it kept mushrooms out of them out of just like regular business as usual up until recently which i think was very very helpful um, because now bringing mushrooms into the mainstream the people that are the most knowledgeable about mushrooms are some of the weirdest motherfuckers you'll ever meet and now they're on the headlines which is good for for society. (laughs) 
fungi come out of the shadows and into the mainstream, I wonder about what will happen to the myco community. It seems like so much of its identity is rooted in being on the fringe or the good kind of weird that William was talking about. It makes me think about those bumper stickers and t-shirts that say, keep Austin weird. <laughs> totally. If anyone knows where we can get keep fungi weird t-shirts, please send us an email. But of course, being a member of the fungi community isn't just about being nerdy or weird. Very difficult and serious work has been done in this community, as William mentioned, to address and correct our broken social systems. William talked a bit about biomimicry, which is design that takes inspiration from nature. There are a lot of people that believe that fungi themselves hold the answers to our social ills. We can look to them and organize ourselves in their image. Like mycelium, we can build complex networks that move resources around according to need. Values like accessibility, transparency, and sustainability have been cornerstones of many of these fringe fungi communities. Our hope is that as fungi becomes less fringe, these values follow suit. Okay, we'll end there for today. Next time, we're going to get down in the dirt with mycelium, those intricate networks that produce cordyceps and other mushrooms, to learn how it can be used as a tool to mitigate climate disasters and environmental injustice. We hope you'll join us, and we'll let William close out this episode with one of his songs called Let's Grow. Please back off my crew, there's a movement to attend to Planet festies with my besties, and this one is just for you Count your blessings, I'm only addressing that What is true, this shit coming from the throat And I'm the goat and chakras blue I find myself sometimes while I drift off into space Apply sunshine, water, soil, blooms ain't far away Let's grow, y'all be holding on to shit let go. Let's grow. Let's grow. Y'all be holding on this shit. Let go. And let's grow. Let's us. Trace Material is a project of Parsons Healthy Materials Lab at the New School. It is hosted and produced by me, Ava Robinson, and Burgess Brown, with support from John Sarah Ruth and the HML team. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd so appreciate a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. For more information, head to healthymaterialslab.org backslash podcast. And be sure to give us a follow on Instagram at Healthy Materials Lab. Thank you to William Padilla Brown for lending his voice and expertise to this episode. Head over to mycosymbiotics.com to buy some cultures or tinctures or sign up for an event. William's Instagram is at mycosymbiote. And the business page is at Mycosymbiotics. Trace Material is made possible by support from Friends of Healthier Materials. Our theme music is Rainbow Road by Cardioid. Additional music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Drift up into space, okay. apply sunshine.